one of many ways. He's the only way. Now, some would definitely disagree with that statement, but let's see. Jesus is the promised way, the the long-anticipated way, the fulfillment way. He is the gracious and loving way, the priestly way, the prophetic way, the kingly way, the suffering way, the resurrection way. He's the redemptive way, the merciful way, the justice way, the restoration way, the wholeness way, the forgiveness way, the flourishing way. So do y'all hear and see? Understand and believe. Where are you? Where are you? You have your Bible or your smartphone? No. Turn it to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to work our way through the verses that, that Brother Amos just read for us this morning. And the title of this sermon is, is Parables of the Way, Part 1. Parables of the Way, Part one. And parables of the way are parables of Christ. They're his parables. And a parable is a simple story, simile, or metaphor used to illustrate a moral or spiritual teaching. And the classic definition of a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The term literally, literally means to throw alongside. Of. That's what the term means. You see, Jesus throws parables alongside of his teaching to the crowds of people throughout his earthly ministry. And one of those occasions of him doing this is right here in, in Matthew chapter 13. And it goes down this way, saints. After Jesus finished, finishes teaching, finishes a teaching session, he and his 12 disciples, they decide to walk down to the beach on the northern edge of the Lake of Galilee for some needed R&R, that is, rest and relaxation. That is, rest and relaxation. So the text tells us that Jesus sits down beside the sea on the beach. He has a seat. And the plan is really to chill. Can you you picture it? No, Jesus is just chilling. Some quiet moments, some peace of mind. He's taking a break from the crowd. He's taking a time out from going back and forth with the disciples. If you listen to the other sermons that we've been preaching, he's been going at it with the, with the Pharisees. He's been going at it with the crowds. He's been teaching. So this moment on the beach, it's going to be some quiet time. Jesus needs a break too, okay? He is human, and he's God, but he does get tired. So he sits down for a little break, and y'all can relate to that, can't you? You've been working hard and teaching or whatever you're doing, parenting. Sometimes you need a break. Sometimes you sit down, but a quiet moment on the beach, beach doesn't last long, saints. Doesn't last long. The guy time is interrupted, for a great crowd makes their way to the beach. And they begin to gather around Jesus. And so Jesus, he, he stands up and, and wipes the, the, the sand off of his clothes, and, and it takes, says he gets into a boat and sits down. And the crowd people, they continue to stand on the beach, I guess waiting to see what Jesus is going to do, and Jesus decides to speak to them many things in parables. He tells a parable about a farmer who goes out to sow seed. Look at verse 3. He says to the crowds, a sower went out to sow, 
And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprung up. Since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they didn't have no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Do you hear? Do y'all, do y'all ever wonder why he speaks to the people in parables? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Well, the original disciples wonder why. They, they have the same question. They, they're, they're curious about Jesus' teaching them. So the disciples walk up to Jesus while he's on the boat, after he tells this parable, and they ask him a question in private. This is a private conversation that he and his disciples are going to have here in Matthew 13. And their interaction, the way Matthew has this set up, their interaction is away from a crowd who is standing on the beach. And so they come to Jesus and they, as they say, why do you speak to them in parables? What's the deal? We're puzzled. We want to know. Tell us things. He begins his answer by making a distinction between the disciples who have received him and the people who have not. People who are partial. People who are on the fence. He says to them, he answers them, because to you, meaning the disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But for them, it has not been given. Do you see the distinction? Do you see the difference? Notice these words are passive. It has been given. That's important. Why is it important? The disciples themselves are not the reason why they know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And because they're smart, and because they got education, and because of uh, anything in them, It's not because of their goodness, their morality, their righteousness, their marriage. And the same is true for the the people who don't know these things. They don't, the reason they don't know, it has nothing to do with them. The knowing hasn't been revealed to them. You see, something bigger is at work. Someone greater is moving. You see, both of these passive statements are divine passive, which assumes God is the active force. Thank you. Thank you. God is the reason why the disciples know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. He's the reason why the crowd of people don't know. Yahweh Elohim. This is big God theology here. He gives and he doesn't give. Okay. He reveals and he doesn't reveal. He chooses and he doesn't upsets you, then you need to go do business with him. I'm just reminding you. It's his free, sovereign choice. His election. His gift of grace. The disciples are disciples of Jesus because of this gift. Because of this gift of grace. It's a, it's a gracious gift that allows them to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Again, these disciples have not didn't go to seminary. <laughs> They're not part of the religious system. They're not a high priest. 
They're not part of the Sanhedrin. They're not teachers in the synagogue. These are fishermen. These are ordinary men. And yet Jesus is saying the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been revealed to them. This is supernatural. God doing. Big God theology. And these secrets refer to the meaning of Jesus' teaching about the kingdom. It's the spiritual truth about the kingdom he preaches and teaches throughout his earthly ministry. The disciples understand that. They have a front row seat to the preaching and teaching of Christ. They are in a position of privilege because of this gift of grace. Not because of them, but because of Jesus. Because of what God is doing. They have been given a blessed, they have been blessed with spiritual insight and understanding by God. These men are experiencing something that the, none of the Old Testament saints did. The Old Testament saints, they longed and hoped to see and hear what they have. And Christ makes that clear in verses 16 and 17. He speaks to them a beatitude. He says, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to y'all, Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see, to hear what you hear and do and did not do. They're in a position of privilege because of Jesus. They see and they hear because of what God has done in them. But there's a nuance here. Because as you as you read throughout the gospels and as and as we work out continue to work our way through Matthew. We're going to see that they, didn't, they, they don't fully understand the blessing yet. They don't. We're going to see examples of that, especially in Peter's life. See, they don't fully understand it yet. Do you know why they don't fully understand it yet? Why don't they fully understand it yet? The helper has not come. See, the spirit isn't here yet. So their, uh, their understanding of the truth that Jesus is teaching uh, is partial. But their commitment to Jesus is real. Their commitment to Jesus is real. Well, at least for 11 of them, it's real. As we know, one of them is a devil. So they do submit to Christ. They, they follow him. They, they receive his ministry of word and deed. What about you? What about your commitment to Jesus? Are you fully committed to him? Are you partial to him? Are you simply on the fence? One foot in the door, another foot out. Jesus isn't having any of that. The Father doesn't want part-time sons and part-time daughters. No, he's not a part-time dad. Okay? He doesn't want, he doesn't desire one day a week saints. Saints on Sunday. Monday through Saturday. Or you can't come. You either all in or you out. And come to Jesus. In, in, John, in the Gospel of John, uh, in chapter 6, after he Jesus feeds the 4,000, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And in the Greek, that means now. In the Greek, that means the Father draws. 
you do not draw yourself to God, God draws you to yourself. And if you think you do, then you really don't understand the depth of your depravity. God the Father has drawn these disciples to Jesus. And if you have saving faith in Jesus today, he has done the same this again. He done it. He has drawn you to Jesus out of love, kindness, grace, and mercy. You're not a Christian because of your own merit. Do I need to pick it up? Okay, I guess I'll pick it up. It's not because you were born in a Christian home. Now, some of you kids, you, if, you, if you were raised in a Christian home or being raised in a Christian home, that's wonderful. That's great. But that does not make you a Christian. That does not make you a Christian. You don't get in because of your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith. You've got to have your own walk with Christ. It's not because you go to church every Sunday and Wednesday or every day like loud. It's not because you're, you live in the Bible Belt. It's not because you're a good American citizen who, or, who, who professes one nation under God, but you don't live that way. It's not because you love and serve the least of these. It's not because you fight for social justice in America. You are a Christian because God chose you. He chose you, and the Holy Spirit regenerated your sinful heart. He changed your heart so that you could receive Christ and saving faith. That's why you're a Christian. That's why. Because of God's initiative. He always takes the first step. And if he doesn't take the first step towards you, then you will still be lost. When the Spirit regenerates your heart, then you say yes to Jesus. Then you accept him and receive him and depend upon him. His life and his death and his resurrection. This is all our hope and truth, right? Don't confess the blood of Jesus. This is all our righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that blood will never leave Christ. Your blood ain't good enough. Your good works ain't good enough. Your money ain't good enough. Your service ain't good enough. My preaching ain't good enough. My shepherding ain't good enough. Your church attendance ain't good enough. Your parenting ain't good enough. Being a good spouse ain't good enough. Being an American ain't good enough. Being an evangelical ain't good enough. Being a Presbyterian ain't good enough. It ain't good enough. Having Reformed theology isn't good enough. None of that's good enough. Being in Christian ministry ain't good enough. That's not what God going to ask you when you get to heaven. Oh, so you were, you were, you did, you were a pastor? Well, come on in. You a missionary? Oh, yeah, you, you got a seat up here. Only question you're going to want to know is, Christian, once you become a Christian, once you receive Jesus, something supernatural happens to you. You you are filled with the promised Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, who guarantees your inheritance until you acquire possession of it, and that is the praise of God's glory. So on this side of glory, in the already not yet, the Spirit is the one who leads all Christians to understand the truth of Scripture. You think I understand the Bible just because I went to seminary? Just because I got an MD? You, you think that is the reason why I understand Scripture? If that's the only reason why, then that, that, that's totally man-centered. 
holy man standing there. The spirit has the words. No, you know all, all these men, all these people who wrote commentaries and and books on the Bible. Do you think they have that insight just because of, of them? The spirit has to give insight into scripture. He's not on the sea team. You need the Holy Spirit. He gives Christians deeper insights into the Bible. He even empowers Christians to to live out our responsibility to cultivate a healthy walk with Jesus. Did you know that that once God saves you, you have also responsibility to walk with him? That's your responsibility to walk with him. Now, you walk with him in grace, but you have responsibility to pray, to read the scriptures, to be in the communion with other believers. The Spirit is the one who empowers you to grow in faith. He's the one that helps us apply scripture to every area of our life. He's the one who helps us grow closer to the heart of the Father. Don't you realize that you can love Jesus better? don't have to wait till you die to go to heaven to love him. Now, his love would be imperfect, but you can love him now. So you are at peace with God, and you can love the Father back. And there's never a moment that a father doesn't smile on you. Even when he's disciplining you, he smiles on him, and it's done in grace because it's done in love. Some of us don't even understand the privilege of the position of privilege that we're in. Christians do have privilege, and we walk in it daily. But when we don't share with other people, we, we're holding on the privilege to ourselves. We still want other people to experience this privilege of this Father's love and acceptance. That's why we shouldn't be. In the Spirit, we can grow in grace. In the Spirit, we can grow in our understanding. In the Spirit, we can have an abundance in this lifetime right now. A principle that Jesus gives, a principle that Christ gives in verse 12 communicates this, the point I've just made. He says, for the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The principle is an encouragement to, to the original disciples and to you if you have faith in Christ. But it's a warning to people who have not received Jesus. It's a warning to people who are partial with See, in the Bible Belt, you have to unconvert people here to convert them. Now, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Because everybody who is, who is in the Bible Belt believes they are Christians. They believe it. So you have to convince them that they're not before, so they can become one. Because their view of Christianity is morality. Because I'm a good person. There was only one good person. Whoever walked the face of the earth, and we are not. It is God. See, the one who has not, the person who, who has not truly received and responded to Jesus in a true commitment of faith, the person has a, a partial receptivity of Jesus. Those who are moral and, and are good citizens and, 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 and place all their eggs in their own morality, they have a partial understanding of Christ, but it's not full understanding. They don't have a full knowledge of who Jesus is. And so th- th- what they have can easily be taken away. 
because they still have an unbelieving heart. Such a heart is unregenerate, still lost. But what do you mean by unregenerate, Pastor Alex? That's the type of heart that is stuck in unbelief. That's the type of heart that is stuck in a state of sin and misery. This is the type of heart that sees but sees not. It hears, but it actually hears not. The crowd of people that Jesus is on, that Jesus is talking to here on the beach, many of them are in this room. They see but not hear. They hear but do not believe. Look at verse 13. This is this is what Christ says to the disciples. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. The spiritual condition of the crowds of people in this passage actually fulfills a, a prophecy spoken by Isaiah centuries ago. The prophecy says, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For the people's hearts have grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. At least they come, at least they can see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I will heal them. The parable, saints and guests, that Christ preaches in this boat illustrates the various spiritual conditions of people standing on the beach listening. And for you. And for us. The parable is descriptive. It shows what it looks like to to see and not see, to hear and not truly hear and not understand. It illustrates how a person who who has not even loses the little that he does have. It even illustrates how the one who has will also be given more in abundance. Jesus uses a parable, uses a sower, uses a farmer, sowing seed in his parable to communicate his point. And the people listening can at least relate to the farmer, okay, because many of them are farmers, or they at least work on the farm. So they can relate to a farmer sowing seed and and hoping for a plentiful harvest and and rejoicing when the harvest is in abundance. And they can relate to a farmer who who sometimes um, watch with sorrow as his potential great harvest withers away. They can relate to the ups and downs of farming. They can relate to the agricultural components of the parable, even if they don't fully understand the spiritual truth that Jesus is communicating to them. So remember that parable, saints. Remember. Remember. The sower goes out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path. The birds came and devoured them. Others fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprung up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, since they had no root. They withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. As a, farm, as a farmer scatters seeds, so the word of the kingdom goes out into the harvest. It goes out into the world. The seed, the seed is sown in and falls on different four kinds of places. And I call these places the four heartbeats. Minus Eddie Cole Jr. Yes, Rock. 
The four heartbeats represent the crowd of people standing on the beach. They represent the, the 12 disciples. They, they represent all of you. And each heartbeat has a, a different level or receptivity to the word of Jesus, to the word of the kingdom. And Christ's explanation of the parable makes this clear. You see, the three heartbeats, you see, three of the heartbeats have received him partially. And one heartbeat still. Three heartbeats have a partial receptivity. One heartbeat is receptivity is full. Three heartbeats have a partial understanding of the word of the kingdom and partial commitment to Jesus. And one heartbeat understands and commitment is real, the real deal. Three heartbeats are unregenerate. One heartbeat is regenerate. The first heartbeat is described as a pass, or as the message Bible says, the sovereign. The seed of the word falls uh, here, remains on the surface. It can't take root. The person here hears the word of the kingdom, but it's like water off a duck's back, sand in the person's hands. The word can't take root in the person's heart here. Such a heart is unregenerate. The word sown in this type of heart is eventually snatched away by the evil one who, abso- who actively works against the gospel spreading in the world. In verses 3 and 4, Christ says, The sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path. Birds came and divided it. And Christ explains this in verses 18 and 19. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. sower. When someone hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand them, the evil one comes, snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown on long account. You see what's happening here. Spiritual warfare is real. There's a, there's a spiritual component to, to those who are unbelievers as, they, as, you, as you share the gospel with them and they don't understand it. There are forces working against them to prevent them from understanding it. There's a reality going on that we really don't see, but it's real. That is the first heartbeat. It is stuck. It is lost in a state of sin and misery. And the evil one works to keep the person there. Snatches away. All your attempts to share the gospel with this person. So that's why you have to, you, when you're sharing your gospel with other people, you have to do that prayerfully. Because, again, the person in front of you ain't your enemy. You're praying, you're praying against the one who's working behind the scenes. Who's trying to prevent that person from understanding the gospel. Pray the enemy out. Pray him out. The second heartbeat is described as rocky ground or gravel that doesn't have much soil. The seed of the word that falls on the second heartbeat, it tries to take root. It tries to take root. It tries to grow. The seed even springs up quickly. This is the person who hears the word and immediately receives it with great joy. The person experiences some level of spiritual awakening and understanding. It's a partial experience, okay? And the response, and I believe the response is, is it's a quick response because the response is either only emotional or only intellectual or a combination of both. Because people do have intellectual conversions and emotional conversions, but those are not real. Because we know emotions are like waves in the sea. They're up and they're down. And you can only, and your intellectual conversions 
does not lead you to a place of repentance. It just, you just know about it. But it doesn't change you. So this is, the, this is the one who responds quickly to the word. And the response doesn't take root in the person's heart because the second heartbeat is also unregenerate. There's no depth of soul in an unregenerate heart. This individual only appears to be a Christian. They talk the language. They know the Bible stories. They only appear to be a son of God. But when suffering and hardship comes, their partial commitment shows his true character. He'll eventually give up believing what he once received in faith. He won't take it. Look at verses 20 and 20. 20 and 21. Jesus says, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulations and persecution, persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Notice that. He received it quickly and he turns away quickly because the commitment isn't there to persist. Again, are you a one? Are you heartbeat one? Are you a second heartbeat? Where are you? The third heartbeat is described described as thorns. The soil here is filled with weeds that that grow up and choke the seed that is sown and that falls on the third heartbeat. And the third heartbeat is a person who's double-minded, a person with divided loyalties. A person who who wants her cake and to eat it too. If this person hears the word, partially accepts it, but the temptations of life proves it unfruitful. Proves it unfruitful. She gets lost in the weeds of anxiety about her life. What does Christ say? The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. That's what he says. The person gets lost in it. And those are the things that takes the person away from the word that was trying to grow. But the weeds choke it out. It chokes it out because this person's heart is still unregenerate. It's not truly committed to Jesus as saving Savior. And finally, there's the fourth heartbeat. It's described as good soil. The seed of the word that falls here produces a great harvest. The seed blossoms in the good soil of the fourth heartbeat because the fourth heartbeat is regenerate. The Holy Spirit has has given life to this person's dead heart. Again, you cannot read this parable and think, man, i got to make my heart this way. That's not the point. There's something happening in, in this person that allows this person to receive it. And something is happening in the hearts of the three heartbeats that, 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 so they can't receive it. Something is happening. This person... The fourth heartbeat is no longer spiritually dead. A regenerate heart responds in faith to the effectual call of the Holy Spirit. It hears the word of the kingdom, truly understands it, truly receives it in faith, and truly trusts and submits to Jesus. The fourth heartbeat isn't partial. It's truly committed to Jesus, and it does bear fruit. Look at verse 24. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, 
and understands. That's understands it in faith, not just emotional and, and intellectual. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, a th- another sixty, and another thirty. And here's the thing: you can't get jealous just get a thirty like Cain. Point is, we ain't all gonna produce the same fruit, but we all got the same faith. Let me pull a, a little bug in your ear here. I don't know if you I don't know if you've ever seen this as you read this parable before, but but this the, the spirit revealed this to me. You see, the fourth heartbeat it has the same experiences as the other three heartbeats. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor Al? Well, good question. Let me tell you. The fourth heartbeat experiences the attacks from the enemy as well. It's called spiritual warfare, but it perseveres through the attacks because its faith in Jesus is real. The fourth, this is funny. The fourth heartbeat does experience spiritual warfare. Ephesians six, the same thing that the first heartbeat experiences, the fourth heartbeat will experience. The enemy will come for your head. He will come for your family. He will come for your joy. He will come to steal your assurance of faith. He will come and sow seeds of dissension in you. But because of faith in Christ, you persevere through the attack. You will experience that as a Christian. The enemy will come. He will tempt you. Spiritual warfare is real. But it's your faith in Christ. It's, it's your Savior who allows you to persevere. It's the Spirit who allows you to persevere through the attacks. Some of you are in the, in, the, in the spiritual warfare now. The enemy is on your back. And how do you know you're going to get through it? Psalm 23, the Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because your rod and your staff will comfort me. So as a fourth heartbeat, you're not navigating the attacks of the enemy as an orphan. Or as an atheist, you go, you navigate it knowing I got somebody on my side. The enemy is working, but Jesus is working too. For greater is he is who is in me than he who is in the world. The spirit is in you. The same spirit that come at Pentecost, it, it lives in you. So you can persevere. Ask for help. Throw yourself on the mercy seat. And ask for help in your time of need. You, being a Christian does not shelter you from the attacks of the enemy. It makes you a conqueror. And, and another thing, when, when farmers plant grain, you don't ever see one grain by itself. You see a bunch of them. That's community of faith. So sometimes you persevere through spiritual warfare by being with other Christians. You were not planted in a field by yourself. You were planted within a community. And when you're not part of that community, then there's something about Jesus you don't understand. And some of you have used COVID as as an excuse not to be part of it. Shame on you if you're doing that. Fourth heartbeat experiences suffering and hardship. 
but it perseveres through the suffering and hardships. Why? Because it knows Jesus is real. Listen, the second heartbeat, the second heartbeat, when he heard when he heard the gospel, he had a sunny, he had a Christian camp experience. Man, I love Jesus. Oh, when I get back home, I'm going to be involved in youth ministry. I'm going to serve. I'm going to be an usher. And he does for a while. But three months later, he back to his old ways because it was not real. When you are a fourth heartbeat, when you have made a, a true commitment to Jesus Christ, you will experience hardships and suffering. It will come your way. You will experience. It will make you cry. You will grieve. You will feel in despair. But you're not destroyed. You can persevere because of who you believe, because of who you call father, because of the one who calls you son, I'm sorry, but the one who calls you beloved son and beloved daughter. That's why you can persevere. So if you think you're going to become a Christian and Jesus is going to give you a get out of suffering free card, then you are sadly going to be disappointed. What he gives you is, I'll be with you through it. Keep your chin up. Keep your head up. You can get through it. Again, not alone, but in community. In the harvest of other believers. The fourth heartbeat also experiences the weeds of temptation. Who's never tempted with the anxieties of life? I'm not talking about an anxiety disorder. Because some people who have that need to be on medication for that, because that is a disorder. What I'm talking about is you worrying about your life constantly, constantly, your finances, or your how, how well you're doing spiritually, or, or you just consumed with worry. Those are weeds, and you will be tempted with them. But the weed does not have to control you. You can persevere through the weeds because of Jesus. Will you be tempted with the with the with the deceitfulness of riches? Yeah, we're all tempted with wealth. We're all listen. We we live in the in the richest country in the world. And if you if you tell me you're you're not ever tempted with it, you are a lie. You are lying to me and you're lying to yourself. You're t- you're tempted with the deceitfulness of riches. Now we might not I might not preach a prosperity gospel, but many of us live one. I ain't got to preach it for you to live a lifestyle of it. So we will have those temptations, but we don't have to give in to them. We don't have to live with divided loyalties because of who we believe in. And that's why faith and repentance and the spirit with conviction of you worrying about your life. We already preached about this in Matthew 6, worrying about your life. Who worrying about their life can't add anything to it? None of us. You just stress yourself out. So you can give it to Jesus. What consumes you with worry today? What about your finances are you afraid of about today? If God feeds the birds of the sky, will he not provide for you? Will he not provide for you? So you got a lot of credit card debt. It doesn't have to own you. So you, you have these other worries. They don't have to own you. Trust him. He'll give you what you need. 
Now, if you have, again, if you have an anxiety disorder, you need to go see a therapist, or maybe they need you on some medication. But what I'm saying ain't going to help you. You have something else going on that you need help with. So don't leave here saying, Pastor Alex said, no, I didn't. I'm talking about just the normal day worries that can consume people. I'm not talking about a mental health issue. Union with Christ is real. We know what that means. The fourth heartbeat is in union with Christ. Do you know what that means? You and Jesus are like that. Everything you need, everything you're ever going to need, he's going to provide. Now, it might not come in the way you want it to come. That may all, that's probably always the case. But he will come. He will come. So what kind of heartbeat are you today? One, two, three, four. Jesus wants you to be a fourth one. And his hands are extending out to you to save you from your sins and to save you from the wrath of God. Uh, if you already are a believer and you already have faith in him, his hands continue to extend out to you to comfort and to shepherd you through this valley of the shadow of death. Isaiah 55 says, come, everyone who thirsts. In the Hebrew, that means everyone. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not feed? Listen diligent to me. Eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear. Come to me. Hear that your soul may Lord Jesus, thank you that you have given us wine and milk without money, without price, all because of the price you paid in Calvary for us. And so my prayer for us today and going into this new week is that we will step out with a greater sense of who you are for us. Those of us here who are at fourth heartbeat, I pray that we will know that whatever the enemy has planned for us, the Spirit is there to help us get through so we can have confidence. For those of us who are at fourth heartbeat, whatever suffering we may experience this week, hardships may come our way. Though we will cry, we may grieve, we may uh, weep, we can get through it because Yahweh Elohim is our Father and our Shepherd. For those of us who are fourth heartbeat, you know, the temptations that, that await us this week, they're going to come. Worries will come. Worries about finances will come. But they don't have to consume us and eat away at our souls. We can persevere through them. Because our Father is our provider. He gives us our daily bread, and he will come and fight for us. So as we go out again, be with us, sustain us. Watch over us. And I pray for all of us in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Please stand, beloved.